following episode of this podcast contains language that may be objectionable to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Thursday, April the 8th. 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, do you lie about the world around you? Do you lie about the world you live in? I want to share with you a couple of observations over the last 24 hours that I have been thinking about, and I want to share those with you. And also, history made in St. Louis, Missouri. And it's not what you know. It's what you can prove. A thought or two about the murder trial of Derek Chauvin. All of that coming up next. Like a comet blazing across the evening sky Gone too soon Michael Jackson, gone too soon. Yes, um, still, you know, mourning the loss of Midwin Charles, and I can't imagine the unbearable pain that her family is feeling and experiencing right now. Oh my goodness, it cannot be quantified. The degree of hurt and pain and loss and sorrow and heartbrokenness that the family of Midwin Charles is experiencing right this moment. I do, again, send and reiterate my deepest and heartfelt condolences to every member of the family of Midwin Charles who passed away on Tuesday so unexpectedly, so shockingly, and so really out of the blue. Midwin Charles again, um, and I wrote about her again in the latest newsletter, which was from yesterday, April 7th. It was sent a little bit late last night, but I do urge you to subscribe. I really do. Please subscribe to the Politocrat Daily Podcast newsletter. It is free of charge. There are options if you would like to pay for it, but it is free of charge, so you can subscribe for free. And every single day, you do get a newsletter. There's lots of additional information, uh, valuable uh, internet resources for the topics that I discuss some audio that I might provide depending on what the topic is that you do not hear on the actual episodes. This is completely different just for subscribers and also a lot of other things too, you know, that I do put into these newsletters. Sometimes the newsletters have more in them than other days, but look, or every day you do get a real good dose of information and things you need to know 
along with my thoughts about some of those things. So there you have it. But Midwin Charles is no longer here and I'm still trying to, on my own level, process that. But again, it doesn't matter in terms of what I do versus it's not even a question of a competition because that's not the way I look at it. But here I am thinking, oh my goodness me, this is such a heartbreaking loss. And then you then think about the Ch- the family, the Charles family, and how they're dealing with everything. I think all too often when somebody that we know of, at least, or that we think is a really good person, who, who was a good person, a really good person, passes away. I think among us, myself included, there's a certain level of ownership that we try to ascribe to that person, whether we knew them well or whether we didn't know them at all. We knew them through television. Um, and I hope that, I mean, I think that's probably what's happening for me. Although um, when I say ownership, I don't want it to. Well, what I mean by when I say ownership is that you really want to feel connected to that person. It's not that I own someone or something. It is that there's an ownership of your feelings toward them, hopefully, um, that you take accountability for that, but that you really are expressing an outpouring of your feelings about the person and a way to connect back to the person even after they have departed as Midwin Charles did two days ago. And and her passing really did hit me, not only because she was just young, really young, at 47, that's a young age, I'm telling you, very young age. Um, some people might disagree with me, but it is, 47 is very young. You haven't really, really lived yet. You're just entering middle age or you're just motoring through middle age you're not well motoring might be the wrong word but you are going through middle age and you're just I mean it's really 47 is not old at all and that's really you know that's what's hit me about her passing is that it's she's young she was very young it was a bolt from the blue not a good bolt at all. It was a jolt from the blue rather than a bolt from the blue. And she was such a decent person. Again, I didn't know her personally, but she was a really nice person objectively from observation and from watching her and and, and, and an excellent legal analyst. That's really the the second part of it. It's not even so much that. I think it's also that she was in the legal profession, which... I'm a member of myself, and so that, I think, probably impacts the way I feel as well. But she's a human being. I mean, that's the most important thing. And I and I care about human beings, but I care particularly about black people. And I care about black women, and I care about black men, black people in general. I care about all the humanity, but obviously, um, as Malcolm X once said, the first group to which I am concerned is black people. And without apology, I mean, there's no need to even have to justify that. No need at all. And in fact, when I come back, I'm going to get into some of this now. And the this is the kinds of things I have observed here in the last 
24 hours or so with one Mr. Hubert Davis. And if you don't know who he is, I will give you a quick Cliff Notes version. And also some of the kind of nonsense that is coming across on social media. Which certainly is not a rare occurrence. I'll explain and tie this into the issue of racism, racists, and ignoring the reality that swirls around you. What a great tune, huh? I love that song. It's the best one they've done, actually. I know they have done a lot of others. and I know they did a thing. They did a cover of a song um, called Giving Him Something He Can Feel, which I really like their cover of that because I know I think they don't think they were the first to do that song. But In Vogue, great, great group. And I hope they're still around. I think they still are. Free your mind about bias, hatred, prejudice, you know, racism, all of these issues. And I do want to talk uh, about them again. I mean, I talk about them all the time because they're here and they are, they've been here all the time. So, you know, how can you operate in a world, dear listener, and not talk about these things? I mean, granted, I mean, I, I, when I'm not before this microphone, there are other things in the world that I speak about that I that I do, that I converse about, that I engage with people about, of course, of course, of course. But I'd be damned if, as a black man, I'm going to sit here and act as if this is not a major part of my life. Because racists and institutionalized racism and systemic racism and anti-black racism and anti-blackness and the hatreds exhibited and the racism exhibited by white people in general toward me on a daily basis as a black person. I have to live with that daily. So... I have to experience that daily. That is the world I am living in. And I, like you, dear listener, particularly um, speaking now to black people listening to me, you and I go through life every day of our lives and we are visited by a systemic 
racist country or racist people. We have to deal with those white people out there who are racist and indifferent and impulsively racist. It's not microaggressions. I call it impulsive racism. Impulsively racist people that you are dealing with on a daily basis, whether it's at your job, whether it's your boss, whether it's your co-worker, whether it's whomever, your friend who's white, whom all they send you is things about black people. So, yeah, that kind of racism that people look at as microaggression, now that's impulsive racism. When someone white, a friend of yours, constantly sends you things about, well, there's discrimination here, well, there's discrimination there, as if there isn't another thing that you can share with me as a black person. And I did say, yes, this is the world I live in. But if your only interaction with me as a white person is based on, oh, let me send you this article about this black art somewhere. And you can't send me articles about any other subject matter. It's always black, black, black. So in other words, you relate to me as a white person by sending me things that are all about black people. Not about the whole world. Not about life. Not about living. Not about the environment. Not about economics. Not about finance. Not about technology. Not about the climate. Not about health and nutrition. Not about anything else. But, oh, did you know that this thing happened over here with this black art and did you know that this black thing over here happened and that black thing and that black, 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 black. And it's as if you as a white person, and I've had this happen to me, right? You as a white person think that that is what I want as a black person for you to send me every single article by text or email or whatever about something black that's going on. I mean, is that how you view as a white person, if you're listening to this as a white person, is that how you view black people? Is that how you interact with black people that you know, if you know any? Because you know the many surveys that have come out said that 85, 75, 85, 90% of white people's friends are white. And they don't have any, rarely do they have any friends who are black or Latino or, you know, Asians, they'll have a few, perhaps, but rarely they have any black friends. But I'm asking now to the white people listening. Do you interact with black people in this way? Where the only thing you really talk about with them is about, oh, there's some black art. Oh, there's a blues concert. Oh, there's a jazz concert. Oh, there's this thing over here. This black play. Oh, these black artists. And you never, ever, ever just have a conversation about life. <coughs> I mean, I know people like this. I've known people like this. And I've had to pull their coats. Because... 
Part of it is they don't really know what to say to a black person. That's what I think part of it is. Because they are living in a world, in a white world, in an anti-black world, in a white country like the United States or the UK or name the European country. And the society itself doesn't interact with black people in that way, except for athletics, music, God, something on the news that's negative. Their parents don't have any black interaction or black friends, very rarely, and nor do they. And yeah, not to mention segregation. As James Baldwin said, you don't want to know what's going on. If you're second, you don't want to even know. And so how are you reconciling all of that now as you get older? Well, I'm going to see if I can reach out to her with some articles about black people. How come that myself as a black man, if I have a white friend, I'm not constantly sending that white friend articles about Beethoven, articles about Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire? How come I'm not sending them constantly, sending them texts about some white artist somewhere? Why am I not sending them texts about Andy Warhol every five minutes? Why am I not sending them texts about Carly Simon or Judy Collins or Jude Law? I... I, I what, you know, why is it that there are white people on this planet who think that somehow the way to talk to a black person is to send them a barrage of articles about some black artist somewhere? What happened to just talking to someone? What happened to saying, well, Omar or whomever, I don't know how to talk to, to you. I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm nervous. I'm afraid. I don't know. I'm white. I don't know how that's done. I've never really talked to a black person honestly before. Why not just start where you, that you don't know? Or is it because as a white person, you may well be racist and are struggling with how to admit that to yourself? Or maybe you're not struggling. Maybe you're outright saying it. Or maybe you're not. I don't know. But what I do know is the kind of craziness that I have seen and the kinds of things that some white people say to me that they would never, ever say to a white person. They never would. And where's that coming from? If you're white and you recognize this, really do something to fix it. And if you're white and you never heard of this and you don't do it, Make sure that you make it clear to other white people who do that you've got to change that behavior. And if a white person could talk to a black person as they do when they talk to other white people, it might be something to consider. Because why don't you just talk to a black person? Oh, but you might be calling that black person really nasty racist names then. If you talk to a black person the way you do a white person, maybe some white people would be talking to yours truly or maybe some of you listening with racist epithets. Maybe that's why 
there's this nervousness. Or not. As I said, I don't know. Free your mind. White person, free your mind. Come on. The 21st century now. You've got younger white people, many of whom understand. Many of whom get it. Many of whom don't struggle with how to talk to a black person. Like we're some freaking species that you've got to tread lightly around. Ooh, uh, there's a booby trap here. Here's an example of that, by the way. Something on social media, on my Twitter account. And I just know that there are people who follow me who aren't who they say they are. Which is why I keep saying to you, dear listener, well, rather, why I keep asking you, is your social media persona the same as your real life one? There's many reasons why I asked and why I have asked that question previously. But one of them is this example over the last 24 hours. On my Twitter account, at the popcorn R-E-E-L. Now, if you listen to yesterday's episode, Wednesdays, April the 7th, 2021, April 7th, as I said, you will, or may not, because it was a two-hour episode again, but you may have recalled that I said that I think that this Derek Chauvin murder trial is going to turn on how white jurors view black people, whether they view black people as human beings or not. That is what I think this jury trial is going to turn on. No matter what the prosecution does, whether you or I think or thinks that the prosecution has done its job well, or whether you or I think or thinks that the prosecution has not done its job sufficiently in the realm of proving their case and proving the guilt of Derek Chauvin beyond a reasonable doubt. And I'm going to get into this in a little while down the road about it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. I'm going to get to that later. But for the purposes of this particular inquiry in this segment, that is in terms of this tweet that I want to get to, is what I posted a clip of from yesterday's episode at the Popcorn R-E-E-L. I posted that clip of that white jurors on this jury, I think, are going, I think it's going to come down to that. Do you see the humanity of black people is essentially what I said in the clip. Do you as a white person see the humanity of black people? Or do you view black people the way that white society and the white system has for centuries with all of these racist depictions in film, in cartoons, in ads, in programming, in movies, television, everything? Out of it, you know, everything. Or is, is that how you view black people? In that racist way? And if that jury, the white jury's on it, view black people as, say, three-fifths of a person, like, of course, this country's constitution once did. 
If that white jury, those white jurors, view black people as something or someone less than human, Derek Chauvin's going to walk. Going to walk. And I don't say that, again, with any glee, with any anything. I'm saying that with clear eyes and 400 years of history. That I've looked at, that I've studied, that I'm a part of, that you're a part of. And when I talk about, are you lying to yourself and lying to yourself about the world you are living in? This, this is what I'm talking about. The response to the tweet that I just told you about where I had said that I think that this verdict, the outcome of this case is going to depend and come down to whether or not the white jurors on that jury view black people as human beings. And notice I didn't say view George Floyd as a human being. And I mentioned this actually in the newsletter last night, in the audio portion of that. So I'm kind of reprising a little bit of it here. Not all of it, though. You should really listen to that audio that I did yesterday on the newsletter at politocrat.substack.com. So after I posted this tweet and this audio portion of the podcast episode yesterday, where I said that I think this is going to turn on whether these white jurors see black persons' humanity or not, whether they see black people as human beings. Because I didn't say George Floyd, I said black people. Because if you don't see black people to begin with as human beings, if you don't think as a white person, if you as a white person do not think that a black person is a human being, and you think and you have these racist views of black people, and you have all of these deep-seated racist things in you that say that you don't see a black person the same way you see a white one, or you don't see a black person as human. And all of the society has reinforced that with birth of a nation from 1915, with Gone with the Wind in the late 1930s, with all these other racist movies and all of these white actors putting on blackface and doing all these monkey sounds and all this garbage that's still all over the world in cultures everywhere, including in the Far East, including still in the UK in various instances, including here in the United States. If you're telling me as a white person that you never think about any of those things and you and you have or, or that you have those things ingrained in you or that independently you have racist people in your family. I mean, these are all the things if you're saying all these things. You know, if you're saying to me that. This case doesn't turn on those things. Then I think you are lying to yourself. If you're telling me that this case doesn't turn on whether or not these white jurors view black people as human beings, you're lying to yourself. And you're lying to yourself about 
white people. You're lying to yourself about America and its history. And you're lying to yourself about how black folk have been treated throughout history in the United States. You're lying to yourself. And you're lying to yourself about your own issues. You're lying to yourself as a white person. If you are going to sit here and think that somehow these white jurors may or may not view black people as human. And you're lying to yourself if you think that this case doesn't really turn on that. Because the popular, the popular and safe, in quotes, answer would be, well, no, it doesn't depend on that. It depends on whether the prosecution proves their case beyond a reasonable doubt against Derek Chauvin. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course it turns upon that. But how does that happen? That burden of beyond a reasonable doubt has to be met. And the jurors have to then decide that. So even if the prosecution has objectively met that standard, and I did a poll on this on Twitter, at the popcorn, R-E-E-L, and at least 50 plus percent of you, 56%, and that changes every few moments, thinks that the prosecution to this date, to this moment, has proven it. And I'm going to get into that a few minutes, in a, in a little while. So if mo many people on Twitter who, in an informal poll, unscientific, think that the prosecution has, but those 12 jurors don't, doesn't it turn on something? Surely it turns on something more than just, well, they've proven it or they haven't. People have biases. People are racist. People are sexist. People are homophobic. And what you're telling people to do is lie about the, the truth about themselves. And so that's my long way of getting into the response to my tweet about, I think this case is going to turn on whether white jurors in this trial view black people as human beings. And I literally wrote in the tweet the truth about what the outcome of this murder case really turns on, whether the white jurors in the Derek Chauvin trial view black people as human beings or not. This is the response I got from someone who follows me. And I hope this person no longer follows me because I'm just going to unfollow them. Excuse me, I don't follow them, excuse me. I don't follow them at all, actually. I just, I, I, I will block someone like this. I mean, yes, yeah, someone can say, well, why didn't you give them a chance to try to talk to them? Well, I have tweeted them. And I am not going to just mute them. I'm going, you know, because I'm sorry, this is just people who don't know how to deal and just don't. In fact, let me not talk it over and preview it. Let me just say what the response was from this person, a white person. Already posing people to riot? Question mark. Everything I've seen and heard about this trial points to Chauvin's guilt. I'm white. I hang with black women's lives and do what I can to stop the injustice and you spout off 
ready to get things going a la capital building. You're wrong. So the first response to a concern. And again, do you remember, for those of you who are regular listeners, about a week or two ago when I did an episode about how people communicate on social media about certain things and issues. And when I told that story on Twitter about the numbers of white people I see here in San Francisco who don't wear a blooming mask, don't wear one at all. And some woman, some white woman, probably 22 or 23, it doesn't matter what her age is, but it just shows you that where this is in generations too. Because it's not older people, and there's some older people who don't, but it's these 22-year-olds or these, you know, these people who aren't 30 yet. And they're walking around with no mask on, these younger folk. And she's coughing and yawning, yawning as I'm walking past her. I've got two masks on at this point, but she's yawning wide open, no mask, doesn't cover her mouth with her hand, nothing. Right near me as I walk past and and she kind of sidles closer and yawns. Big yawn. And I I share that story and I get this response. And I told you about this before from someone who is white saying, oh, um, well, they're here where I am from, where I live. They're all kinds of people do it. And you're not answering my concern, you're not responding to it. You're deflecting away from it. Oh, so I don't think it's about race. I didn't say it was about race. I made an observation about people who are white. And this isn't about their race. Yes, I invoked the word white. This is about the behavior. That's what that's about. It's about the behavior. That's what that whole thing was about. Why aren't you motherfuckers putting on masks is my point. And I actually used that word in the tweet. Or in the series of tweets. Why don't you all, those of you who don't do, don't put on a mask. Do the fuck you're told. Do as you're told. But you're arrogant, some of you. Arrogant. And entitled. And my response is on, you know, the response to that, what I said was, oh, well, it happens in other places and other people do. So, yeah, that dilution that happens, the deflection, the dilution, I'm going to dilute your concern and I'm going to just trample it. And I'm going to just pretend that you didn't confront something. Because, you know, I'm a white person and I don't want to deal with that because it makes me uncomfortable. And I feel like I'm being attacked by you. Oh, you feel like you're being attacked, do you? Try to ask a black person how they feel every day in this country or the country you're from. And then a, and then a blooming committee says that there is no institutionalized racism in the United Kingdom. How's that for an attack? And it's so interesting because that response I just read out is from the same person whom when this conversation about the masks that I've just been having happened on Twitter, 
that person was the one that said, I'm doing my part. Now listen, and I praised that person at the time. Now listen, what I think is going on here with this is that there are white people who are trying to defend how good they are rather than trying to really pull up their socks and be anti-racists. Or try listening. It's an acquired skill. I don't pretend to have it down to perfection. I can say, though, that I do listen to people who have concerns about things, concerns about issues that matter to them. I listen. I don't trample them and say, well, it happens this way and everywhere else. How dare you? So those of the people in this world who do that kind of thing, who trample when someone's come up to you, put their vulnerability on the line. And what you've got to say is, oh, well, it happens everywhere else. Fuck that is my response to those of those of you, not you, you, but you in general, who would do that? You're not listening. You don't want to listen. You're uncomfortable. I don't care what the reason is. You don't want to listen and you don't want to deal. You do not want to deal because your sanity and your safety, well, not your sanity, but maybe, but your safety and your comfort depends on living in this fantasy land, this fantasy world that tells you that you do not have to be responsible for anything. That world that tells you that, oh, it happened 155 years ago. So, you know, I don't have to worry. Because that was my great ancestors, my ancestors' ancestors. I don't have to worry about that. Oh, we gave you civil rights. We, we gave you, we gave you. Yeah, you didn't give us jack. We fought and died for that. And some white people did alongside us. But still, I'm saying that a lot of this now on Twitter, but predating Twitter, with some white people who are trying to prove to themselves that they're not racist. And I say, don't prove it. Just lead by example and stop talking a garbage, already posing people to riot. So me talking about and saying that, I think that the white jurors on this Chauvin jury hold the key. And that this whole case, in my view, prosecution or not, depends upon whether these white jurors see black folk, black people as human. Because it damn well does. Because if it was someone white that was treated the way that George Floyd was, we would have had a guilty verdict now. We wouldn't even have a second week of trial. This thing would have been over. Shut up. Please. Already. So that's the response. Already. This is the, again, I'm going to read it one last time. This is the response to what I said. And again, this is the trampling. This is the diversion. I want you to, and you, and you understand this. I'm not saying something to you that you don't know already. You've been on Twitter. You know how people are. You know who the trolls and the bots are. The people who pretend to be one thing, but then another. And I've never done that. No, I don't want a cookie or a medal. 
I am who I am. What you see is what you get. What you hear is what you get. I am the same way here as I am in public. And vice versa. I do not put on airs for anyone. I am not here to make anyone feel comfortable. I'm here to speak the truth. And I'm here to live as good a life and as honest and decent a life as I can and try to be a better person. I don't have time for BS. And I think that those of you who are loyal listeners to this podcast also do not have time for BS and also want to live your lives in a better way for you and do the things that you know you can do to effectuate that. So we're on this whole, we're in this thing together. At least we are striving to be. But you have these people on Twitter and social media who follow you. And as Joy Reid once said, they hate follow. You know, they hate your guts. You know, they're racist as hell, misogynistic as hell. And I've had to block some of them too, by the way. And then all of a sudden, they will reveal themselves to you. When you say something, boom, gotcha. And then they come out with and spit out all the garbage. The truth of who they are, right? Who they, how they really feel, right? They creep along. Oh yeah, I support this. I support that. And then when you press this button over here, bang. The truth comes out of them. Already posing people to riot. Now, this is the response to what I had to say. Given the history, given everything in this country, given the way this country has absolutely, absolutely done everything to break the spirit of black people. Violence, Jim Crow, enslavement, lynching, George Floyd, everything. And you've got this stupid, ignorant response. Already posing people to riot. Everything I've seen and heard about this trial points to Chauvin's guilt. I'm white. I ha- And this is how this person spells black women's lives. All in one word. I hang with black women's lives. I hang with black women's lives? Who the fuck are you? And do what I can to stop injustice, the injustice. And you spout off. Wait a minute. Did I question? When I tweet out the truth about what the outcome of this murder case really turns on, whether the white jurors in the Chauvin trial view black people as human beings or not, where did I question you doing or not doing something to stop injustice in that tweet that I tweeted? Where did I question your personal Twitter, your personal efforts to stop injustice. It reveals that you're racist when you say that bullcrap about I do what I can to stop injustice. Did I question what you do? No. So you're really reacting to the feelings you have in your own heart and soul and brain. That's what you're fighting with. You're not even really, at one point, you're not even really fighting with me. 
or verbally sparring or tweeting with me. You're really talking about yourself. You have produced this internal monologue that you have and you've put it on Twitter for the world to see. You've bared your ass. And what's more, and what's more disgusting about that is you haven't wiped it. The giveaway line is already posing people to riot. So now you've already presumed something about my tweet and about me and about black people by inference, posing people to riot. Oh, but what happened two, three months ago? Oh, that wasn't anything. And then listen to this. I hang with black women's lives. What the fuck is that? You hang with them. What's that mean? No, don't say, well, I, I get together with them. No. Why did you use the word hang? Huh? Why did you use that word? Oh, because everybody else uses that word. It's slang. No. Why did you use the word I hang with black women's lives? What are you talking about, Miss White Person? What are you talking about? And your avatar says that you're a white woman. And do what I can to stop being injustice. What are you? By the way, you didn't mention what you do. If you really want to make what you do an issue, because I didn't make what you do an issue. See how people reveal themselves? See how people reveal themselves? The bull crap. The absolute lies that they tell themselves. And then it comes, blah, spits out on Twitter. And it's a cry for help more than it is anything else. So you hang with black women's lives. Oh, you hang with them, do you? Are you swaying in the tree? Is your body swaying in the trees like strange fruit? What the fuck is this? I don't want people like this following me. I really don't. Which is why I'm going to block this person. I'm serious. I don't care about how many followers. Yeah, it would have been nice to have those 5,000 followers back. Of course it would be. But I really don't care whether people choose to follow or not. And when they're spouting this kind of garbage, well, what am I going to do with that? There's only so much talking and communicating you can do with someone. And only so much listening. Because while I do think listening is extremely important, when something is going a certain direction, at a certain point, you're talking past each other and you're tweeting past each other. I didn't even read you the rest of this yet. And you spout off, she continues, ready to get things going a la Capitol building. Oh, so now what you're saying is I'm spouting. So my concern that the racism that is endemic in this country and the racists who have in the realm of white people been here forever. That real concern backed up by 400 plus years of history, including enslavement, including beyond the 400 plus years, the 500 years and the genociding of Native Americans 
oh, and that the way that a Native Americans treated in this country, and you got baseball teams and friggin' hockey teams with the heads of Native Americans as so-called mascots. And then you had a football team that had to finally get pressured, finally, finally changed its name to the Washington football team. So all of that now is me spouting off. Oh, and you spout off ready to get things going. Oh, ready to get things going. Oh, so what are you saying about me? You know I'm black. I've got a black avatar. You've seen me. I don't hide from anybody, anyone. So you know I'm black. I'm not tripping. I'm here. Oh, but oh, I'm spouting off ready to get things going. So now I'm an, I'm an agitating, violent person now. Ready to get things going. Oh, that's how you view, view me, right? So you view me as a black person, as a black man. Oh, as spouting off, ready to get things going. Oh, so I'm one of these violent folk. See, see how the racism and the racist in that tweet and that person comes out. I don't care if she's a bot or a troll or a real person. That that's the example of it. Boom. Gotcha, gotcha. A la Capitol building. So you're going to compare, Miss White Person, you're going to compare what I said about a very real life, historic and present evil where white people have forever dehumanized black folk and seen them as less than. You're going to compare that, my concern, about how that could definitely and will play a role and has forever in juries played roles, Rodney King. Hello? You don't think that the white juries in Simi Valley at some point viewed Rodney King as less than a human being? You don't think so? Give me a break. When all these cops testified, well, he had superhuman strength. I mean, they're doing it right now in the Chauvin trial. Eric Nelson. Oh, do you have to restrain him this way? Could he come come to and start fighting you again? Could he do this? It's the whole subtlety of the racist theory he's pushing. Oh, the black man is superhuman. He's a big bear. He's King Kong. And that's you. That's this tweeter is what I'm talking about. Not you personally. I don't know you. But this tweeter is exposed herself. She's totally bared her ass. Oh, so now I'm a rioter. So I've now become, because, dear listener, I have said that white jurors are going to play a huge role here because they are going to really determine if this guy walks or not. Because it's white jurors that always do shit like this. Always do racist stuff like this. Always. Always. And no, don't go give me O.J. Simpson. The prosecution did a shit job in that case. Okay? Blame the prosecution, not the blooming jurors who are mostly black and brown. Shut up. The prosecution in the O.J. Simpson case sucked. 
and they still got book deals. Give me that nonsense. Honestly, be honest with yourself. Be honest about the world, the world you live in. Be honest and admit that you can't deal with it, that it's too much for you. Admit it. Oh, so you're going to compare all that with January 6th. So all the history of this country, you're now going to compare what I'm saying about something really serious and real and historical and present. You're going to compare that. Oh, you're rioting. You want to stop people rioting. You want to get those uppity Negroes in the streets and you want to do Allah the Capitol building. Allah the Capitol building. So now you're comparing what I'm talking about to some white terrorist yahoos thugs from three months ago that killed cops, killed people, destroyed a building. Oh, destroyed congresspersons and the speaker's office. Oh, please give me a freak. And then you add you're wrong. No, you're the one that's wrong and you're deluded. You're deluded. Read a book, read a book. And I said to her, spouting or am I looking at the history of the U.S. and a racist white society and an unjust anti-black system demonizing and punishing black people? Why did you mention riot? Is that your opinion of black people? Violent? Why would me citing history be, quote, posing people to riot, end quote, question mark? And then here is the response to that from her. Wow, I did not intend for this to go this way. I'm going to back way off, tell you I'm incredibly sorry and I won't bother you again. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Bullshit. That's what I respond with that to. Not to the, ha but all of it. Your, your hashtag is sarcastic and you are BS, period. I did not intend for this to go this way. Oh, you stupid fool. You did intend for it to go this way with your response at the beginning. What do you think's going to happen when you say to someone already posing people to riot? When you use such language, calculated. What do you think? How do you think that's going to go when you say that to a black person who has an awareness of history? who knows what's going the hell on in this world, who experiences this every day like all black people do, how the hell do you think that's going to go? And then you say things like, I hang with black women's lives. What does that mean? I hang with black women's lives. The fuck does that mean? And do what I can do to stop the injustice. See, that's the dead, see, that's the dead giveaway right there. Like I questioned what you do. So now you're feeling attacked and now you feel that you've got to friggin' well defend yourself. I do what I can do. Did I question that? Did I say that you sit on your ass and do nothing? No. So then why did you bring it up? Because you are dealing with your own internalized struggle with where you sit in the world on this. And you don't know how to deal with it and it manifests itself in that cockamamie bullshit from you.
And then you reveal your racist ways by talking about, I'm going to get ready to get things going at the Capitol building. That I am going to get things going at the Capitol building. With my concern that there are white jurors who are racist, who are going to view black people. I didn't say George Floyd, I said black people as less than human. You don't think that there are white people who do that? You don't think that in 2021 or 22 or 30 or 2040 or beyond, you don't think that there are some white people in the world who view black people as less than human? Did you look at the guy that was in the White House in the years 2017 through January or most of January of 2021? Did you look there? Did you look at all these other people? And all these white politicians, I mean, and everyday white people who take out their videos or take out their cameras or take out their phones and start calling the police on black folk who are just living and minding their freaking business. See, that is, see, that's the, you see, that's the kind of garbage that some of us have to deal with on Twitter. And I'm sure there's garbage that you have to deal with, but this is the kind of racist BS. And rather than admit that you can't handle it and that you are Jack Nicholson sitting there in that courtroom, Colonel Nathan, Nathan Jessup, who can't handle the truth, rather than admit that to yourself, you take the coward's way out, the easy way out. Wow, I did not intend for this to go this way. Ooh, in other words, you didn't intend for me to come back at you full blast. Did you now? Oh, I didn't intend for you. And it's not even that. It's that I just put her on blast. And I would have done this to anyone, male, female, or whomever. Don't come to me with this bullcrap is the point here. Do not come to me with this. Believe me. Because I am fed up of having to explain to white person after white person. And many other black people are fed up of having to explain to the white people who pull this garbage, garbage, that this is going on in the world around them. And stop closing your friggin' eyes to it. When you've got verdict after verdict after verdict after verdict after non-indictment after non-indictment after non-indictment after non-indictment. And you've got black person after black person after black person after black person dead, killed, ended by some friggin' cop. And then you sit there about talking garbage and you sit there with your nonsense and you're talking about capital building. And you see, this is the thing that's so dishonest about these folks. And even the person who said in the previous exchange that I talked about, about the masks, and that person said, well, you know, this happens here too, but, you know, everybody does it. It's not about race. But, you know, if I had said to someone, I see all these black folk doing this, this person who responded to the tweet about masks, I bet you they wouldn't have said, well, white people do it too. I bet you they won't, they wouldn't. 
Or they wouldn't say, well, everybody does it. It's only when I say that white people do something that some of the people who may listen to this podcast or who may follow me on Twitter start to, ooh, oh, I feel uncomfortable. I feel attacked. Ooh, I feel that you're saying everything about all white people. Ooh, I just, I, I, can't, I don't know what to do with myself. Because you're privileged. That start with that. You're privileged. You don't care. You feel like your your phony rose-colored world has now been penetrated with a little pinprick. And now, oh, you're uncomfortable. Because the world that's been constructed for you, half of it is fake, more fake than a $3 bill. And you just can't deal with it. That's what's going on. That's part of what's going on. And you can't deal with the fact that maybe you too have some racist impulses. And you're quick to defend without listening to what someone is telling you. And when we're sitting here telling you to stop hatred against Asians, when we're sitting here telling you that black lives matter, and then you give us the sarcastic hashtag and you tell me that you hang, you hang with black women's lives? Well, what the fuck are you talking about? You mean, you, are you saying you hang in a tree as a white person? You hang in a tree? You hang from a tree with black women's lives? Because that's where black women have been put, lynched in trees, hanging, with white families pointing up at them, with smiles on their faces, and white boys and girls smiling at the hanging black body. What are you talking about? Honestly, the ignorance of people, but it's not even ignorance. They love to just put what they want to put on Twitter. They love it. It ain't about, you know, at some point, it's not only about education. It's about this makes them feel good to just say what they want, to be racist. It makes them feel good. Yeah, I'm sticking it to them. That's what is really going on here. Garbage. It's just bullcrap. And that's what happens in part when you have a society that doesn't look at its history, that doesn't look at its present. And you got politicians saying, well, this is not America. This is not who we are. It is exactly who we are. And I think it's about time that people stop lying to themselves about the very world and the very country that they live in. value but the value of that young boy to his mother to his brother or sister is immeasurable so you will see a young boy sold for five dollars five dollars for a young black boy is what the excerpt says understand that five dollars is the monetary value but the value of that young boy to his mother to his brother or sister is immeasurable Five dollars. Five dollars in 1840, a young black boy. Five dollars. Sold for five dollars in the United States of America during enslavement. 
in 1840, in the 1840s, and in 2020, George Floyd, dead, $20. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And the ignorance of people who don't want to learn and look at the history of the country they live in damns themselves and damns them to hell. Welcome back. Yep, um, thank you for sticking with me here. You are listening to the Political Grand Daily Podcast with me, Omar Moore. Thank you for your indulgence and for um, listening for this last hour or so plus because um, I just wanted to get that off my chest <laughs> for almost an hour. But nonetheless, this thing, these, ha- these things have to be said. And I want to say now, if there's anybody who's uncomfortable listening to this podcast, then stop listening to it. I know that's really simplistic and basic, but that really is the thing. Then stop listening. And my solution to what I also said, in addition to what I said, I should say, is why don't you just read some books to this tweeter? Read some books. Study history. Learn the present, because history is the present, as James Baldwin has always said. I put together a whole load of video clips from I Am Not Your Negro, about four of them. And I just want to let this person know. Study. Study. Open your eyes. Abris los. Abris los. Study. Open your eyes. Abris los ojos. Study, open your eyes and stop pretending that this is not happening. You want to sit in your bubble and, oh, I do what I can to do. Well, maybe it's not enough. Well, keep doing it. I didn't question this person whether she does something or doesn't, but she felt she had to defend that somehow. So she's getting defensive about something that I never challenged. And you're not dealing with my question about white jurors who do have, like everybody has biases, but these jurors, like a lot of white jurors, in my view, when it's a victim who's black, they don't see them, that black person who's a victim, the same way that they would see a white person who's a victim. I'm telling you. It's not something I made up. We know that's true. They know that's true. You know that's true. You as a white person who may be listening knows that that's true. You may not even see a black person the same way you see a, uh, a white person. You, there are people who see their cats and their dogs more as more valuable than a black person. This whole society does. Oh, please. God. Oh, but hashtag Black Lives Matter. I'm just going to put that at the end of my tweet. Bullcrap. Just, uh, I don't believe you, is what I'm saying to that tweet. And I've told this, all the things that I'm saying here, I've already said to this person in a tweet, or at least in one or two tweets I've said it. So this is not some ambush. <laughs> Just the people, people lie to themselves. 
And I think to an extent, while we all perhaps lie to ourselves, perhaps on small things, maybe, maybe not. I mean, you know, in our life, we've probably done that. And maybe there are people who still do it. But don't lie about the world you're living in. Don't lie about your your circumstance in the world and the circumstances of other people. Maybe you want to lie about where you are and where you stand, but don't lie about my existence and don't lie about my blooming experience. Again, again, as I said in a few epi- a few episodes ago, when you t- start to trample on someone's experiences, you dare question that. If something grievous and horrible happened to you, and I stood there and started questioning it. How disgusting would that be to you? And for you? Can you imagine you go through something traumatic and I sit there and start saying, no, didn't happen. No, no. Or I just blindside it and go on to something else and completely don't hear you. Don't listen to you. Well, that's what's happening here. Please, just stop lying to yourself about the world around you. If you want to lie about your own life, then that's up to you. But to that tweeter, do not lie about the world that is in your face or that you're trying to insulate yourself from or that you're straining to want to think that you're a good white person because you do things to prevent injustice and I hang with black women's lives. What a freaking weird thing. See, I know that person's a bot or a troll or somebody who just really thinks that she's not racist, but really is, and then starts to use all the racist code words. Oh, you're starting something in the capital. Oh, I love the capital. Oh, you're spouting off. Oh, you're, oh, okay. So what I've been saying is spouting off. Oh, okay. All right. There we go. There you go. Bang. Gotcha. You got yourself. You played yourself. And no, I'm going to block you. So don't worry. <laughs> I don't I don't mind block I don't mind blocking people when they just talk nonsense. And then what is the point of having an extended back and forth? You can have some conversation. I'm all for listening, but after a while, when your ass refuses to just really be honest about what's going on in the world and what's going on in this particular case, then it's time to say goodbye. And if you say you won't bother me again, as if you've poked a friggin' bear or King Kong, since you don't, obviously you don't view black people as human, then it is time to block you. Bye-bye. You're done. I don't mute them. Mute, Mute them for wimps. You need to mute and block. Don't, you just do oh, but you don't want to lose the follower. Aha. So that's why you only mute them. <laughs> I don't give a rat's ass about that stuff. So Hubert Davis, as a black man, as a human being, as a black human being, gave his first press conference, his introductory press conference before the media yesterday at Chapel Hill. And here's a portion of what he said. Just listen to this, it's about 60 seconds. It is significant, Steve, it's significant that 
I'm African-American and I'm the head coach here. It's significant. Um, I know that in terms of Division I head coaches all around the country, only 26% of the head coaches for Division I men's basketball are compromised by minorities, specifically African-Americans. I know that it is significant that I'm the fourth African-American head coach in any sport in the history of the University of North Carolina. I'm very proud to be African-American, but I'm also very proud that my wife is white. And I'm very proud that my three beautiful, unbelievable kids are a combination of both of us. What? I'm very proud that my wife is white. <laughs> oh god you don't know man you just do not know <laughs> why do some of these black folk out here play themselves like this dear listener why do some of us do this i know the enslavement mind the enslaved mind I know, I know that's part of this, I do. So I'm not dismissing that at all. I am simply saying, why do we play ourselves like this? Huh? Say why. Why do we play ourselves like this? He's only the fourth black person to be the head coach of anything at North Carolina. I'm not just talking about the basketball, anything in the whole history of that university of North Carolina, 100 plus years of history. If not more, maybe 200, I don't know. I mean, they've been around forever. Fourth black person ever in any athletic discipline at that college, university. And the first at the men's basketball program there. The NCAA Division One. Okay, so why didn't you just talk about that? Why did you have to go into... But I'm also proud that my wife is white. Why, why do you have to do that? There's no white person on earth at a public press conference that talks about they're proud that their wife or their spouse is black. They never do it. Never, never, ever, 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 never. Why are you doing this, Hubert Davis? You're embarrassing. You're embarrassing yourself. There are plenty of white men who have black women as their wives. And none of them ever in a press conference, I don't care what the context is. I don't care that he's the first black person as the head coach. I don't care that that's the context. Now, good for him on a personal note. But when I say I don't care, I mean the context. They never get up there and say, I'm, I'm proud. I'm also proud that my wife is black. And I'm proud that our kids are mixed. Uh, we have a combination of both. He never says that. Never. Ever, 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 never. 
So why, Hubert Davis, are you doing this? Why? Why? Why are you doing this? sound like Nancy Kerrigan now. From the, any of those of you who don't know who Nancy Kerrigan is, you know you have the uh, internets at your disposal if you have internet connection. But why is Hubert Davis doing this? It's really bad. I mean, heck, the average white or black person doesn't talk about, well, I'm proud that my, you know, a black person, I'm proud that my wife is black. I'm proud that my husband's black. I'm talking about a black person. They don't hold, hold a press conference and say that. A white person doesn't hold a press conference, no matter what the context, and say, I'm proud that my husband's white. Why is she, why the f- what the fuck's wrong with this guy, Hubert? What's I used to look up to that guy. I'm older than he is though, but I used to look up to him when he was with the New York Knicks because I thought he was a really decent person, and he may yet still be a decent person. I'm not suggesting that one buffoonish, clownish. Oh, don't worry, I'm a non-threatening black man, or maybe you are threatening because ooh. There's some white people out there. Oh, he's got a white wife. Oh, my God. He may just ravage her. And oh, and birth of a nation. And he might just, uh, oh, my God, be spouting off and fixing to riot. And I love the Capitol building. I used to really respect him. And I just want to know what the fuck got into his brain yesterday at that press conference. Good grief. I think he would like a do-over there. Or maybe he wouldn't. Maybe he doesn't see what the issue is with that. Maybe some people listening don't see the issue there. Oh, he acknowledges kids and they're, ooh, they're a lovely shade. And, you know, it's like that bullcrap that Bill Maher, that racist piece of garbage, said, a few years ago, ooh, oh, the best babies are the ones that are mixed. Ooh, yeah. Fuck, what the fuck? You know? What are you talking about, dude? You, What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Just absolute madness. People, please. Look, none of us is perfect. I'm not, but far from it. My God, man. But my goodness me, think about what you're saying. Oh my goodness gracious. Who does that? Nobody except Hubert Davis. Oh no, there have been other instances of things like this. Not the same, mind you. But, you know, Ving Rhames giving his uh, Golden Globe or his whatever American you know, People's Choice Award or whatever the hell it was to Jack Lemon, And Jack Lemon's standing there going, what the hell are you doing giving this to me? Giving away my award to Jack. I mean, and these motherfuckers never, ever give their awards to us. You know, even Macklemore, who I respect now because he's really done some learning. He's learned, he's studied and he gets it right. As a white person, he understands that he's got this white privilege. Unlike that tweeter I talked about. Wasted an hour talking about that. I dash you, that is not a waste of an hour. It's not. But. Macklemore, he had an opportunity to give up his Grammy a few years ago 
And I believe it was Kendrick Lamar. Everybody knows now that Kendrick Lamar is one of the great rappers that we have in this country, on this planet. Country? The planet, right? Kendrick Lamar. And Macklemore won Grammys over for Record of the Year instead of Kendrick Lamar. I think it was the Black of the Berry album or whatever that album was that Kendrick Lamar did back then. And Kendrick Lamar lost out to Macklemore? But, you know, you've got this racist, again, white recording industry of America who runs the Grammys, an, a bastion of racism and racists in it, who always sideline black artists and black talent and black excellence and brilliance and excellent music for some corny ass white person who just woke up last week and tried to do an imitation of a black person's music and sound, and gives them the blooming Grammy. I'm not saying they're not some white artists who are talented. They're very talented, some of them. I, I can't deny that. I'm not going to sit here and do that because that's lying. I'm lying to myself and lying to you. There's a load of people who do what they do in the record, uh, in records uh, as musicians and artists who are very good at what they do, who are white. They're very good at I'm not going to sit here and deny that. Of course there are people. That's a lie and that's pathetic if I sat here and lied to you and said that to you, that that wasn't true. What I'm saying, however, is when you've got, everybody knows who the best talent is in these categories, often. Whether it is Beyonce, you know, forget Kanye West and that whole little number. Whether it's Beyonce, and that was at the, uh, I think, America, uh, people, American Music Awards or something. Whether it's Beyonce, whether it's whomever who's got robbed and sidelined throughout history, not just even in the last 10, 20 years. And then you give it to some no-name chump over here who has got no presence, has got nothing. And Macklemore accepted the award and walked off the stage. And then later on when his phone when his phone blew up and I think he texted Kendrick Lamar or whomever it was or they texted and he said I'm sorry I'm sorry about this but why didn't you refuse the award like Marlon Brando did huh when Marlon Brando won the Oscar in 1973 for the 1972 film The Godfather he sent Sachin Littlefeather to the stage and Sachin Littlefeather, uh, a Native American who works on behalf of uplifting Native Americans, has done a lot of work, years of years and years and years of work dealing with it, of uplifting uh, people in her group, her people, her communities. And Marlon Brando had the consciousness enough to understand that Hollywood for centuries, a century, has been demeaning and denigrating Native Americans. Look at what John Wayne does in The Searchers. Look at that movie. I'll start there. Forget Dance. I don't even get to Dances with Wolves in 1990. I'm talking about the 1940s and 50s. And the films like The Searchers. John Ford's movie with John Wayne in it. Talking down and, you know, denigrating Native Americans. And so Marlon Brando... With, as someone with consciousness as a white person who's conscious, understood. So 
He said, so he said, no, I'm not accepting this Oscar. And here is my representative, and she's going to speak as to why, and she's going to talk about Native Americans. And then you got, like this tweeter, back in 1973, people in that lovely little Los Angeles audience with their tuxedos and dresses on booing, some of them, a contingent of them booing. How dare you, Sachin Littlefeather, speak out about the white oppression of Native Americans and the white violence against them and the genociding of them by white people. Oh, but boo, boo, we don't like that you're talking about it. Never mind, we don't know, we don't say anything about the fact that we did it or that our ancestors did it, but we're booing you for talking about it, for speaking up about it. We're booing you. See what I mean? But Marlon Brando refused that Oscar. Ma- yeah, Macklemore, flash forward 40 years, didn't. Right? He took his Grammy. And then afterwards, off stage, oh, I'm so sorry. Why didn't you say there and then? No, I'm sorry. This should go to Kendrick Lamar. Why, why didn't you have your Ving Rhames moment and pass that Grammy to Kendrick Lamar? And say, no, I, I, do, I refuse to accept this. This goes to Kendrick Lamar. He was the best rapper. He had the record of the year, the song of the year, the best cat. This is the guy that should get it. And I'm giving it to him. White people don't do that. They never do that. By and large, I've never heard of it. Have you? I've never heard of it. Giving your Oscar to someone else. Giving your Grammy. Giving your um, American Music Award. Giving your People's Choice Award, your Golden Globe to someone else. I've never heard of it. To a, and I'm talking about giving it to a black person or even a white person, but to a black, black person. Give, I've never heard of it. Why do we do that? And I know, again, it's rhetorical. Part of it is the enslavement mind. But why do we do it, though, still? And, and Hubert Davis yesterday why? Why, man? Why did you do that? Oh, my God. And by the way, Hubert Davis, if your wife was a black woman and you did everything else, you had the same press conference, that you're the first black person who's the men's head coach at the NCAA Division I program at University of North Carolina, your alma mater, if you had that press conference to do again and your wife was black, would you have said that you were proud that your wife is black and you're proud of your kids and they look really nice and dark and lovely and beautiful and brown? Would you have said that? What you know is what you can prove, okay? Here's a scenario. Mark and Paul, you kick the door. Jeff's the first one through. Roger opens fire, hits Jeff twice, right? Fuck. Yeah, fuck. Matter, one go through? Shit. Yeah, man, you shot him. You fucking shot me, man. All right, all right, you'll get a medal. Don't worry about it. That was Denzel Washington from Training Day. And it really is something that people, I think, some people are uncomfortable with. You know, this trial, and we are now into day number nine, numero nuevo, of this trial, of the Derek Chauvin murder trial, 
I think is coming to a point of reckoning. I hate that word, though. I hate a lot of words. I don't like the language that we're talking in. You know, some of the language that we talk in, in the English language, I mean. I really do wonder about this trial. And I know some people have had it, like that tweeter. Oh, you're spouting off. No, no, I'm not. That's how you trivialize black people raising critical questions and concerns based on their everyday experiences with white people who are blatantly or subtly or otherwise, no matter what, racist. Right? Every freaking day. Here in San Francisco, wherever you are as a black person listening to this, you experience this. And you got these ignoramuses telling you that you're spouting off the arrogance of you, the arrogance of a white person that would even say that to a black person. Arrogant. Arrogant. This evil, how you try to dismiss every, everyone that doesn't look like you and that you elevate your experience like it's the only bloody experience. And so your whole world is constructed around a lie that you are the primacy of us all. Well, bull crap to that. We as black folk are not taking that garbage. We're not having it. And again, as I always say, there are a few white people that aren't having that garbage either. Pack your bags and take a trip to reality. And whatever planet you're living on, I think it's time for you to really consider deporting yourself from it. But this trial, this trial, again, as I said earlier this week, the prosecution has had a better week. But what does that mean? Yes, they've put on witnesses that I now think they're more comfortable asking questions of, which is strange because you'd think that people who are assistant attorney generals who've had decades between them of experience litigating would know how to speak to ordinary people. But last week was an absolute shit show as far as that was concerned. I don't think the prosecution did very well. I gave them a five. I gave the defense attorney, the defendant's attorney, a five as well. I think all the attorneys, and I still say this today, I think they're all terrible, all poor. And I know people are sitting there going, well, they're doing what they can and they're doing everything they can do. I think they could do a lot better than they are doing. All of them, all of them. From the prosecution to the defense and back. But what the defense is doing is trying to poke holes and as some people on Twitter have said to me and agreed, they are trying to find that one juror. I've said this many times. They're trying to find that one juror because I do believe there's at least one juror right now, right friggin' now, on that jury where they sit who believes that this guy is not guilty and I think is trying to be provided a reason.
Give me a reason. Give me a reason. And I think that's happening. In a room of 12 people, doesn't the statistical average or model state that at least one of them is going to disagree with you on something? I'm not even going to talk about whether it's racist or whether it's a, some misogynistic thing or anything else. That there's going to be one of those 12 people that's going to have a different view. And maybe more than one, more than one. Maybe there's five that have a different view. That think, you know, one person might think that the earth is flat, right? There might be that one person in the 12 that does. And I'm looking at that vis-a-vis this trial. The one person that doesn't view a black person as a human being. And therefore, by extension, doesn't view George Floyd as a human being. And identifies with the Clint Eastwood, the John Wayne. Ah, yeah. Do you feel lucky, punk? Well, do you? And that's what they view Derek Chauvin as. The guy that's got to extinguish black life. And exterminate it as if it's not human. I'm telling you. And I had, you know, I spent a lot of time talking about that tweeter who's just living in a white world of pretense and illusion. In my view. And I had other people on there. Black folk. At least they said they're black. They look, they look at to me in their avatars, but you don't know because you could be talking to some real... Anyway, I've posted videos of myself on Twitter. There's no way that this ain't me. <laughs> You've seen my face plastered all over the place. There's no way this isn't me. Okay? <laughs> I am not hiding from a soul. Damn it. <laughs> Oh, dearie me. And you've got to be careful with that, too, because you've got people in this world who, you know, they, they're very fragile. And I don't mean that even in a way of talking about mental Ill- illness. I'm just talking about there are people who, you know, there are conditions where people do things. But I, I just... Again, as I said, there are people on Twitter who agree that, yeah, you know, there's some racist jurors and there's and that defense attorney who I've stopped calling that name that I called him, juvenile name that I gave him. I know that's juvenile of me. And I stopped giving it that name to him. So Eric Nelson, the defendant's attorney, is trying to do this. He's trying to poke those holes to create reasonable doubt and appeal to a juror. Just one. He doesn't have to appeal to one of them will have this trial end. And I hate to use the word beginning with H and ending in G that's four letters long, right? But that's the kind of jury it will be if one of those people on that jury says, no, I don't agree. And then the prosecution can decide whether to try Derek Chauvin again or not. Now, if he's acquitted, you can't try him again. On the same charge that he may be acquitted of. That's double jeopardy. We have laws and rules and the constitution and all that against double jeopardy. Which means you can't be tried on the same charge twice. 
And of course, that is applicable only if that person is acquitted of that charge. You can't try them again. If you if you if if Derek Chauvin does not get convicted of the second degree intent unintentional murder charge, unintentional, then you can't try him again. If he's found not guilty on that, you can't try him again on that. That's what double jeopardy is. The rule against double jeopardy is what I should say. But I, I agree, and as tweeters see it, I mean I know I'm not off my rocker here. There are racists on these juries. It's a reality. And the people who agree and understand that aren't living in this fabricated world. And this world of, oh, oh, I'm doing my best. It's like you're kind of grinning and bearing it. You're like, you're kind of grudgingly, oh, I'm doing my best. And then when someone just explodes your world and says to you, that this turns, really does turn on what these white people think about black people. You get angry. And you really were angry before I said that. You really were perhaps racist before I said what I said. And you just let it all hang out, right? The truth comes out about you in living color. And I'm telling you, this jury now is... That's what this comes down to. You and I may say slam dunk. And then I'm hearing people on Twitter again saying, no, this isn't a slam dunk case. And I tend to agree. I think I have expressed that because it's about the jury. It's about that jury. It's about the prosecution, obviously. Can they prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt? Can they? Have they? And I've, I've again, this poll at the popcorn R-E-E-L on Twitter it illustrates my question. Honestly, and I've got a very interesting response set. 56%, now this is as I'm saying this, it may change. 56% of the people who responded felt that, yes, the prosecution so far at least has done enough to prove their murder case beyond a reasonable doubt against Derek Chauvin, the defendant. 56%. By the way, at one point last night, it was 82%. So that dropped precipitously, dropped by 26%. So almost a third, or, or, or I should say over a quarter of that group that said yes has now gone down by 25 plus percent to 56%. 21% of you say no, you do not think that the prosecution has done enough to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt against the defendant. Derek Chauvin. And then there's 23% of you who are not sure. Which is why I put that third option there. Because we can't really be sure at this point, can we? But we can be sure based on what we're seeing that we are not sure that they have done it. Because I'm in the group of people that says, no, I don't think they've done enough. Even with the video. Why? Because I don't think they are passionate enough. And I don't see so far, Derek Chauvin being put on trial. That, those two things are why. I don't think they've done it so far. I think the moment that they begin to prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt is the moment they start to inquire about Derek Chauvin. Not about 
Oh, use of force. And I get it. There's a reason why those foundations are laid for these charges. They're doing their case according to the charges for the jury and they're contouring in, contouring the case in that manner. But what I'm saying is that it's not, as Denzel Washington said in training days, you heard earlier, Alonzo Harris, the villain of the piece. God, training day is 20 years old this coming October. Wow. He won for that, by the way, in an Oscar for that. He did not give that Oscar to Sidney Poitier that night because Sidney Poitier got one himself. <laughs> Lifetime Achievement Oscar. Denzel Washington was talking about it when he won his that night for playing this really odious guy. Oh, God. Alonzo Harris. Really odious. Bad dude. Bad. And Alonzo Harris in Training Day says, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. And that is the question. That's the issue. It's not a question. That's the issue, isn't it? In the courtroom. I talked about this on Twitter yesterday as well. At the Popcorn R-E-E-L. Yesterday evening. It is not what you know in the courtroom. It's what you can prove. The world knows that Derek Chauvin is a murderer and an executioner and a torturer. The world knows that. We know it. We saw it. We know it. But in a courtroom, in a court of law, in quotes, with 12 jurors sitting there, one of them saying, oh, I've never seen the tape. Bullshit. It's about what you can prove to those 12 people. Have you proven beyond a reasonable doubt? It's all about the two sides. Ugh, I hate that both sides thing. It's about the prosecution and the defense. And really it's about the prosecution because the defense is not required to put a single witness on the witness stand. Eric Nelson doesn't have to do that. The prosecution are the ones with the burden of proof. They have the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. That is what they are tasked with. Proving their case, their murder case against Derek Chauvin beyond a reasonable doubt. That's a high threshold. Why? Because someone's liberty, and, never, and we're not going to forget here that George Floyd's liberty was taken from him violently. I'm only simply saying that in the realm of a courtroom, when someone is accused The reason why the standard is beyond a reasonable doubt is because there is a public policy of not wanting to <laughs> incarcerate someone for the rest of their lives on very, very flimsy cases or for something they didn't do. <laughs> the public policy says that the standard of proof if we are facing this prospect of taking away a person's liberty, i.e. 40 years in the slammer, 30 years in the slammer, 25 years in the slammer, or no time in the slammer at all, we want to make sure that the proof standard is higher than a preponderance standard. A preponderance of the evidence standard comes around in civil cases. 
51% standard, 50 plus 1 standard, it is more likely than not that something that someone did caused the death of someone else. Right? And the civil suit was already decided in this case. It was settled for $27 million, which is why a lot of us out here are nervous as fuck that what you've got is, well, they got their money. So, you know, this attempt to kind of link these two things, it happened in the Breonna Taylor case when Breonna Taylor was savagely murdered by these white cops in her sleep a year ago, just over a year ago now, her family got, I believe, 12 or $14 million of a settlement in August of last year. Then the following month, toward the end of that month, if I remember correctly, there was the Kentucky Attorney General, a black man named Daniel Cameron, Republican, who came out and said, no, no, we're not indicting these white cops. I'm not doing that. But I will indict one of those white cops who killed her with shooting into the wall next door to her apartment. That is going to get indictable. That's going to be indictable. And I'm indicting Brett Hankerson for that. But not for killing a human being named Breonna Taylor. Nah, I'm not doing that. A black woman named Breonna Taylor. Oh, and did I say that, did I mention that Daniel Cameron's wife is white? I'm sure he didn't, though, have the good sense to hold a press conference talking about how proud he is that his wife is white. I'm proud that my wife is white. Sounded like a friggin' segregationist. That's like Hubert Davis. Oh, God. I'm never going to live that one down. I have to just get over it. Get over it. I'm not going to use that language. Oh, get over it. You know, oh, get over it. Yeah, that's what we get told, don't we, as black people? Get over it. Yeah, right. When you get over your white privilege, <laughs> get over it. Oh, yeah, right. Whatever. Oh, dear. I Again, you know, this trial, this trial, this here trial, dear listener, is very interesting. And again, I want you to see if you, well, agree with me in this poll. Well, my my position is no, I don't think the prosecution has done enough just yet. They're having a better week. No, and again, I'm going to repeat this. I do not want them to fail. I want them to succeed. I just don't think they've been compelling enough for that jury. They've not been compelling enough for me. And I know there are people on Twitter who say the same. And if they're not compelling for me and for some people on Twitter and for some people out there in the world, what are they to that jury? Right? And if they've not put Derek Chauvin on trial and they've only put, only put the police procedure. And I know this may be contoured by the judge. The judge may have well said, no, we're not allowing that in. And then they've got to do what they've got with what they've got. They've got to do the best with what they have. But even with what they have right now, I'm not impressed with the prosecution. I'm not. I've made that case and that feeling and thought and sentiment known here ad infinitum. Some of you are sick of it to the point where you perhaps do think I'm rooting for them to fail. No, I'm not. I want them to prosecute the you-know-what out of this piece of garbage that sits there in that chair with a suit and tie on. I went, oh gosh, you know I went into that yesterday if you listened. 
So I want the prosecution to, to succeed, and I hope that they win this case and get him on everything. Don't just get him on third degree. Get him on everything, every last charge. I mean, again, it's bad enough they didn't even give him them. They didn't give him the, you know, I've talked about that ad infinitum as well. Bad enough they didn't give him the, the first degree murder charge. Oh, they didn't think they were going to. You've got to go for the gusto. You've got to go for the gusto here. When you've got a videotape out there. But videotape means nothing to these folks. Some of these white jurors could give a damn about videotape. If they've made up in their minds, some of them, one of them, two of them, or none of them, if someone on that jury has made up in their mind, I'm not convicting him no matter what. I'm not. Then what? It doesn't matter how many videotapes you throw up there. It doesn't matter how many graphic videos we sit through or don't and are traumatized by or don't. I know people who won't watch this trial. They won't watch it. It's too traumatizing for them. I've been told that. I know people that won't do it. It's so upsetting. And it is. And I tell you, if this guy walks, phew, oh, but I'm stoking, I'm stoking violence now on at our Capitol building. Ooh. But history isn't stoking violence, is it? The history against black, uh, violence against black people, what's that doing? How, what's that? Uh, a history of white people in this country brutalizing black people, a system of whiteness brutalizing black. Oh, what's that then? Putting black folk to death. Having lynchings and, and doctors and lawyers and priests and teachers and bankers in the community are the ones doing the lynching of these black folk. Oh, but what's that? What, what is that? Is that spouting off? Is that rioting? Is that a riot? Is that injustice? Jesus Christ. We shall see about this trial, dear listener. And, you know, the immortal words of Alonzo Harris, played by Denzel Washington in Training Day. Not the best movie. It's good acting in it. But it's not the best movie, unless some people would agree. Some people would disagree. It's not what you know. It really is what you can prove. And as he says, I'll say it again. It's not what you know. It's what you can prove. I know. Isn't that chilling? Isn't that disturbing? But it's also the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. So help you. God when it comes to the courtroom and those 12 jurors when I come back there's a new mayor in town in St. Louis and her name is Tashara Jones Good evening. My name is Tashara Jones. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm the daughter of Lara and Burgess. I'm the granddaughter of Angeline and Charlie and Eddie and Daisy. Sister 
to Chelsea and Ida, mother of Aiden, daughter of Walnut Park, Hamilton Heights, and Wells Goodfellow neighborhoods. And because of you, I'm the mayor-elect of the city of St. Louis. negativity that's been spewed over the past few weeks from the opposition to just politics and that it should be my responsibility to just ignore it and move on for the sake of unity and civility. Come on. Come on. My professional mantra has always been, I ain't got to like you to work with you. to love you to, to work with you, but we have to get things done. But I will not stay silent about the need to eradicate dog whistle racism and the underlying bigotry from the discourse about politics. I will not stay silent when I spot racism. I will not stay silent when I spot homophobia or transphobia. 
I will not stay silent when I spot xenophobia. I will not stay silent when I spot religious intolerance. I will not stay silent when I spot any injustice. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That was Mayor-elect Tishara Jones, and I am so proud of her. I'm so happy for her, and I love the cut of her jib. In other words, I love the language she's speaking in. I like the way she thinks about these things, the way she talks about these issues. She is not just going to be a mayor. She is going to be an advocate. She is going to be someone who is conscious. She is conscious. She has a consciousness about her. And she's all about it. And I love that. I love that confidence in her. I love that. I love the way she expresses it. And she calls things out. And she doesn't half-step or half-ass it. She is out there and she's telling you. I'm not going to stand for this racism. I'm going to call out racists. I'm going to fight back against them. I'm going to call out transphobia. And I'm going to call out homophobia and Islamophobia and everything else. And misogyny and everything. I'm going to stand up against it. And I'm going to call it out. And we're going to have these uncomfortable conversations. That's the way people lead. That is the way that people in politics must lead. And we need to have more people who take up this mantle, like Tashara Jones, like other people, like Cori Bush, who are always going to stand up and say what has to be said, what must be said. And that is the kind of person that I I'm inspired by those who've come before me and those like Tashara Jones who've come after, who were younger, you know? I, I, I really must say that, you know? This is who you are trying to be. People who try to do these things, who are, who call it out, who don't make the excuses and retreat to their bunker of hate or who don't tweet some nonsense and talk about, oh, you're spouting off. Instead of rising to be a better human being for yourself, much less anybody else. And you want to change the world, but you're on Twitter doing this garbage about, oh, you're spouting off. And you want to start riots. Now you're revealing the racist that you are. And then there's a Tashara Jones who actually does walk the walk and now has a position of leadership where she's going, she's with the state controller or treasurer, the city treasurer um, for several years now in St. Louis. And now she's going to become the mayor. And that's what leadership is. That's what it is. Owning things, standing up, being responsible, calling things out, working on behalf of the people, having those conversations that will make 
some people, white people, uncomfortable. Getting in there, as she says, I don't have to like you to work with you. Damn right. I don't have, you don't have to like, we all have, this society is all set up like this and it protects the white straight male interest, right? The rich white male interest. Oh, you have to like them. Ooh, likey, likey, likey. No, you don't have to like someone to work with them. You don't like all your co-workers, do you? And they don't all like you. Shoot. So, come on. And she, Tashara Jones, Mayor Jones, Mayor-elect Jones, is correct. You don't have to like you to work with you. You can put aside whether you like someone. If it's an objective of trying to get something done, People don't like each other during the football match, during the athletic event, if they're competitors. But you know what they do afterwards and what they do before is they shake hands. Even after they've been beaten 8-0 in football, 9-0, and then they shake hands. Some of them even grin and laugh, which is to the chagrin, of course, of the managers who got beat. The manager whose team got beat 9-0 and you got one of your players, one of his players or her players is out there smiling away at the opposition teammate who they're really friends with off the field who just beat them 9-0 and they're grinning and skinning. Not a good idea, right? That's going to get the ire of any manager. So raise the ire. So look, again, you don't have to like somebody. I mean, all your neighbors don't like you, I'm sure. And you don't like all your neighbors. But you know what? You say hello to them, hopefully. And they say hello to you, hopefully, right? You have those pleasantries. And then you have the unpleasantries of you have to dig in there and get the work done. Whether it's pleasant or not, it has to be done. This ain't a vanity contest. Oh, I like them. They like me. Da, 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 da. No, we have to stop that rose-colored nonsense. And we have to start getting real and honest with each other. Really, we do. We have to. That applies in all areas. So bravo and congratulations to Shara Jones on becoming the first black woman to be mayor of St. Louis. Wow, that's a great thing. St. Louis of all the history St. Louis has. Oh, gosh, go read the history of St. Louis. And this is a real milestone when you also read the history of St. Louis in that context. Tashara Jones becoming the first black woman to be mayor of St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri. Congratulations, Mayor-elect Jones. I can't wait to call you Mayor Jones. Ooh, I just did. About another 12 days or so before I can actually call you that. I am so in awe of you. I respect you greatly. Your leadership is wonderful and just excellent, brilliant. And I'm going to use those terms. You know, I'm not for dumbing anything down. or Not that the person who wrote the article was either. I'm not saying that. I, I'm for celebrating people when they do good things and celebrating who they are as people as well. You know, but when people do BS like I talked about at length here, I am going to say something about it. You can't sit silently when you see people saying or doing things that you know are wrong. You know are wrong. You can't. You've got to develop your voice some way, somehow. 
Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.